Welcome to Real Paranormal Activity, the network. Entertainment you'll enjoy. You are listening to an RPA production where people gather. Foss Corporation, LLC. Welcome to the Mansion on the Hill. This is the home of Terry's Serious Moments. Stories of oddness, of weirdness of nature gone strange. This is season four. We thank you for coming along for the ride. Hope you enjoy it. Please enter your four digit code to continue. Thank you very much. Stand by for Terry's Mysterious Moments. Hello everybody, this is Terry from Texas. Sorry about last week, but I was having a very rough weekend. I was feeling sick, and the weekend had just done me wrong. So I apologize for not letting anybody know anything. But here I am, back again, and ready for another Terry's Mysterious Moments. Are you? Let's get into it. I want to call this episode Pygmies, Pixies, and Puckwudgies. I'm talking about little people of legend. Pixies, fairies, gnomes, elves, those kind of things. And oddly enough, there's a lot in early American lore uh, from the, the tribes that they have a lot of little people legends. In many cultures, in many places, down throughout the ages, there have been stories of little people. Little people have been part of the folklore of many cultures in human history, including Ireland, Greece, the Philippines, the Hawaiian Islands, New Zealand, Flores Island, Indonesia, and early Americans. Some are good, benevolent beings. They help out. They help on the farm. They help with house chores. Some are evil, wicked critters. They lead children astray. They cause crops to go bad. They burn houses. Many have reputations of being mischievous and playful. They're just there for fun. But then, there are some that are just holy terrors. The early tribes of North America, plentiful as they were, have many of these little people legends. The early peoples of North America told legends of a race of little people who lived in the woods near sandy hills and sometimes near rocks located along large bodies of water, such as the Great Lakes. Often described as hairy-faced dwarfs in stories, petroglyph illustrations show them with horns on their heads and traveling in a group of five to seven per canoe. Native legends 
often talk about the little people playing pranks on people, such as singing and then hiding when an inquisitive person searches for the music. It is often said that the little people love children and would take them away from bad or abusive parents, or if the child was without parents and left in the woods to fend for themselves. Well, that's pretty nice. Other legends say the little people, if seen by an adult human, would beg them not to say anything of their existence and would reward those who kept their word by helping them and their family out in times of need. From tribe to tribe, there are variations of what the little people's mannerisms were like, and whether they were good or evil may be different. One of the common beliefs is that the little people create distractions to cause mischief. They were believed to be gods by some. One early North American tribe believed that they lived in nearby caves. The caves were never entered for fear of disturbing the little people. Legends of physical remains of tiny people being found in various locations in the western United States, particularly Montana and Wyoming, typically describe the remains as being found in caves with various details, such as descriptions that they were perfectly formed, dwarf size, etc. Archaeologist Lawrence L. Lowendorf notes that the burials, of course, are always sent to a local university or to the Smithsonian for analysis, only to have both the specimens and research results disappear. Yeah. Lowendorf also suggests that the discovery of two mummies of anencephalic infants in the first half of the 20th century with deformities that caused some people to believe they were adults has contributed to public belief in the existence of a group of tiny prehistoric people. In a graveyard unearthed in the 1830s in Coshocton County, Ohio, it was believed to contain skeletons belonging to a pygmy race. The graves, which were roughly three feet long, were actually bone burials containing disarticulated or bent bones packed together. So, so much for that idea. But, these things got to come from somewhere. I can't imagine some medicine man sitting around a campfire going, what can I tell a story that will scare the bejeebies out of people? A non-exhaustive list of various tribal groups and their little people are as follows. And I'm not really going to try much on the names of the creatures, but I will tell you the tribes they came from. The Aztec has one called a Shanequa. The Yupik have one called Ursinrak. The Inuit in Alaska and uh, North Canada have one called Ishigak. The Iroquois tribes have the Jogaho, and I'm not sure if I'm sa saying those right, so if you belong to any of these tribes and you don't like the way I say it, please let me know and, mean, and, and believe me that I mean no offense by these. The Cree tribe have Manigishi. The Anishinaabe tribes have the Mimigwesi, the Mimigowensi, the Mimigoweshi, and the Pines. They got a lot of them. The Shoshone tribe has the Nimiriger or Nimiriger. 
the Crow tribe has the Nirumbi or the Awakule. The Comanche tribe has the Nunupi. And the Wampanoag has my very favorite one altogether in history. It's called the Pukwudgie. The Catawba tribe, which was, I believe, down in the southeastern United States, Georgia, Alabama, that kind of thing, have one called Yeashuri. The Cherokee tribe has Yunwi Tusunde. And again, I'm sorry if I'm not saying these right. I'm doing my best. Uh, the Lakota tribe. Those great warriors have the Kenotila. And my own fam familial tribe, the Choctaw, have the Popoli or Koe Anukasha. The early American little people have been said to reside in the Pryor Mountains of Montana and Wyoming. The Priors are famous for their fairy rings and strange happenings. Some members of the Crow tribe consider the little people to be sacred ancestors and require leaving an offering for them upon entry into the area. The Ojibwe myths also bring up a creature known as the Mimiguans or Mimiguanswag, which is plural, and it seems to be different from the more common little people variation of Mimiguesi. According to Basil Johnson, a Mimiguans is a little person without definitive form, which is terrified of adult humans. However, it seems to have a soft spot for children and will often approach in the guise of a child any young person who seems upset, injured, scared, or lonely, and they will either protect them or keep them company until help arrives. If an adult sees one, they will often cower on the ground screaming and crying hysterically before vanishing in the blink of an eye. They were also known as protectors of copper mines and were prayed to almost as patron saints of lost children. This is more specific and different from the Mimiguesi, which is often simply described as a short, airy man. Other little people legends in other places and among other peoples include ones we've all heard about, brownies, one I haven't heard about, the Tomte, or the Tantu, or the Domovoy, or the Kobolds, or the Zlidzins. Of course, we have Christmas elves. You can't go wrong with the Christmas elf. You have dwarves. Eh, they help Snow White. Why not? You have gnomes, which do great work in the garden. You have a Karzalek. You have a Knocker. You know what a Knocker is? Uh, think about it. Stephen King wrote that book, The Tommy Knockers, and I didn't read it, so I don't know what take he has on it, but a knocker comes from the mining countries of England and Wales and, and Ireland, where when the men were down in the, in the ground mining for coal or whatever it was they were mining for, they would start hearing knocks on the walls, and what it was, they think, was the timbers and the walls themselves under stress about to give out. But this gave the, the miners a warning that something was about to happen so they could get out of the way of danger. And when the miners, when a lot of those miners translated to America to become miners over here, it became known as the Tommy Knockers. 
And it's the same situation. You hear a knocking in the mine, you get out of the way. And one of the things was that these miners from the United Kingdom would leave parts of their meals down in the caves for the knockers. So that would be pretty cool. As I said before, you have the Nimrigger, Nimrigger. You have goblins and gremlins, which are not nice. Of course, uh, gremlins, we know, were a popular movie of quite a few years back, but gremlins in World War II meant that something was going wrong on your plane, usually, and they blamed it on gremlins. Goblins, well, goblins aren't as nice. They're more scary. You have the Laminac. In Wales, you have the Tilwith Teg, which is kind of like a fairy. You have leprechauns, which are magically delicious. And leprechauns remind me of the ones in the uh, early American tales that they will promise you help if you don't tell anybody you saw one. Pixies. Uh, we all know from Harry Potter that Cornish pixies in particular are mean little dickens. Sprites. I'm not exactly sure what a... Excuse me, I've got the hiccups. I'm not exactly sure what the sprites are. But they're along the line of pixies and fairies and things. There's one called a Teoteo Mona. Not sure where that's from. And for my friends in Hawaii, hello to the folks that listen to me out in Hawaii. You have the Minahune. And I hope I said that right. The little people that come out and build things at night. They are not the night marchers. Night marchers are full-sized human figures, apparently. But the Minahune are credited with building fish ponds and walls and roads and all kinds of things. Uh, you have something called a trowel. Uh, and in Greek mythology, you have the pygmies. It was a, a race of people that lived in the area where Greek people lived. The Abatwa, which is only partly mythical. And the Ebu Gogo on the Flores Islands. Now, the Flores Islands, I believe, are where they discovered the small skeletons of little people that they now refer to as hobbits. They, they were there on the island before humans got there. So they're not really sure what they were, but they named them. In Sri Lanka, we have the Nidaweo. In the mythology of the Saisiat people of Taiwan, you have the Ta'ai. In New Zealand Maori mythology, you have the Potopayarea. And this one doesn't say where it's from, but it's called a Kutrub. In Chilote mythology, is a Trauco. And in Gorani mythology, you have a Pombero. Now, being involved in various paranormal sites and ghost story sites and weird stuff sites uh, I have heard about Duendes and living in San Antonio they come up uh, the, the words come up you know, oh I saw a Duende in my house or my grandmother had a Duende in her house a Duende is a Spanish word for a supernatural creature commonly a goblin so they're not really nice and they're quite scary. And it's either this creature or it's a force. 
A duende is a creature somewhat like a human from Iberian, Latin American, and Filipino folklore. The Spanish term duende originated as a contraction of the phrase, and I'm going to blow this, so bear with me, dueno de casa or duen de casa, which means possessor of a house. Apparently, this was the idea of a mischievous spirit that inhabited a house. The word is also used in Portuguese folklore, being used to describe beings of a small stature, wearing big hats, whistling a mystical song while walking in the forest, and is rendered in English by goblins, pixies, brownies, elves, and leprechauns. Why not gnomes? Anyway, using their talent, they are believed to lure young girls and boys to the forest, causing them to lose their way home. Not friendly. Conversely, in some Latin American cultures, duendes are believed to be the helpers of people who get lost in the forest, so they could find their way home. I'm thinking, get out of my forest, here, here's the way. In the folklore of the Central American country of Belize, particularly amongst the country's African, Carib-descended Creole and Garifuna populations, duendes were thought of as forest spirits called Tata Duende, who lacked thumbs. The Yucatec Maya of Belize have duendes such as the Alush and the Nukush Tat, which are seen as guardian spirits of the forest, and Alush, which is Mayan, and it's uh, the plural of it is Alusho Ab. It's the name given to a type of sprite or spirit in the mythological tradition of certain Maya peoples from the Yucatan Peninsula and Guatemala, also called Shanike or Shanike by the Nahuatl people. Alusho Ob are conceived of as being small, only about knee high, and in appearance resembling miniature traditionally dressed Maya people. That'd be cute to see. Tradition holds that Alush Ob are generally invisible, but are able to assume physical form for purposes of communicating with and frightening humans, as well as to congregate. They are generally associated with natural features such as forests, caves, stones, and fields, but can also be enticed to move somewhere through offerings. Their description and mythological role are somewhat reminiscent of other sprite-like mythical entities in a number of other cultural traditions, such as the Celtic leprechaun, as the tricks they play are similar. Some Maya believe that the Alush Ab are called into being when a farmer builds a little house on his property, most often in a maize field called a milpa, for seven years, the Alush will help the corn grow. They'll summon rain and patrol the fields at night to keep them safe, whistling to scare off predators or crop thieves. At the end of seven years, the farmer must close the windows and doors of the little house, sealing the Alush inside. If this is not done, the Alush will run wild and start playing tricks on people. Some contemporary Maya even consider the single and double-story shrines that dot the countryside to be Katal Alush, or the houses of the Alush, although their true origins and purpose are unknown. 
Stories say that they will occasionally stop and ask farmers or travelers for an offering. If they refuse, the Aleush Ob will often wreak havoc and spread illness. However, if their conditions are met, it is thought the Aleush will protect a person from thieves or even bring them good luck. If they are treated with respect, they can be very helpful. It is believed that it is not good to name them aloud, as it will summon a disgruntled Aleush from its home. The word duende is sometimes used interchangeably with Aleush. In fact, because of such striking similarities, some suspect that the Maya's belief of Aleush Ob developed through interactions with the Spanish or pirates during the 16th century. Pirates of that era were often from the British Isles, where belief in fairies was quite common, especially among those of lower socioeconomic classes. And that's generally, that's a broad generality that pirates would have been lower class people. However, the Maya themselves would claim that the Aleush are the spirits of their ancestors are the spirits of the land itself, preceding contact with Western civilization. In the Hispanic folklore of Mexico and the American Southwest, duendes are known as gnome-like creatures who live inside the walls of homes, especially in the bedroom walls of young children. They attempt to clip the toenails of unkempt children. It can't be all bad often leading to the mistaken removal of entire toes. Okay, they can be all bad. Belief in duendes still exists among the Mixtecs and Zapotecs of Oaxaca, and it is said that they are most commonly found in the mossy cloud forests of the state's mountain range. Some Filipinos believe in duende, that's D-W-E-N-D-E -E, as opposed to D-U-E-N-D-E, -E in Mexico, which often dwell in rocks and caves, old trees, unvisited and dark parts of houses, or in anthills and termite mounds. Those that live in the last two are termed Nuno Sapunso, I think, which is Tagalog for Old Man of the Mound. That makes sense. They are either categorized as good or evil, depending on their color, white or black, respectively, and you figure out which one's which and are often said to play with children who are more capable than adults of seeing them. Offending a nuno so punso is taboo. People who step on them are believed to be cursed by the angered duende within. I'm thinking that's the anthills and the termite mounds. The Chamorro people of the Marianas Islands tell tales of the Teotomo Na, duendes and other spirits. A duende, according to the Chamorro English Dictionary, is a goblin, elf, ghost, or spook in the form of a dwarf, a mischievous spirit which hides or takes small children. Minahune, hello Hawaii, are a mythological dwarf people. Are they mythological or are they real? I think they're real. A mythological dwarf people in Hawaiian tradition who are said to live in the deep forest and hidden valleys of the Hawaiian Islands hidden and far away from human settlements. The Minahune are described, and I'm sorry if I'm not saying that right, but I'm not from Hawaii and I, I'm not even sure I can get Aloha right. The Minahune are described as superb craftspeople. They build temples, fish ponds, roads, canoes, and houses. 
Some of these structures that Hawaiian folklore attribute to the Minhune still exist. They are said to have lived in Hawaii before settlers arrived from Polynesia many centuries ago. Their favorite food is the banana, and they also like fish. Legend has it that the Minahune will only appear during night hours in order to build masterpieces. But if they fail to complete their work in the length of the night, they will leave it unoccupied. No one but their children and humans connected to them are able to see the Minahune. A fairy, also called a fae, F-A-Y, F-A-E, or fair folk, is a type of mythical being or legendary creature. In European folklore, and particularly Celtic, Slavic, German, English, and French folklore, it's a form of spirit often described as a metaphysical, supernatural, or preternatural being. Myths and stories about fairies do not have a single origin, but are rather a collection of folk beliefs from disparate sources. Various folk theories about the origins of fairies include casting them either as demoted angels or demons in a Christian tradition, as minor deities in pagan belief systems, as spirits of the dead, as prehistoric precursors to humans, or as elementals. Kind of a wide range of concepts. The label of fairy has at times been applied only to specific magical creatures with human appearance, small stature, magical powers, and a penchant for trickery. At other times, it has been used to describe any magical creature, such as goblins and gnomes. Fairy has at times been used as an adjective with a meaning equivalent to enchanted or magical. A recurring motif of legends about fairies is the need to ward off fairies using protective charms. Common examples of such charms include church bells, wearing clothing inside out, four-leaf clover, and food. Fairies were also sometimes thought to haunt specific locations and to lead travelers astray using will-o'-the-wisps. Before the advent of modern medicine, fairies were often blamed for sickness, particularly tuberculosis and birth deformities. Fairies are generally described as human in appearance and having magical powers. Diminutive fairies of various kinds have been reported throughout the centuries, ranging from quite tiny to the size of a human child. These small sizes could be magically assumed rather than constant. Some smaller fairies could expand their figures to imitate humans. On Orkney, Fairies were described as short in stature, dressed in dark gray, and sometimes seen in armor. In some folklore, fairies have green eyes. Some depictions of fairies show them with footwear, others are barefoot. Wings, while common in Victorian and later artworks, are rare in folklore. Fairies flew by means of magic. Sometimes they perched on ragwort stems or the backs of birds. Modern illustrations often include dragonfly or butterfly wings on fairies. A famous hoax regarding fairies was the tale and photos of the Cottingley fairies, which appeared in a series of five photographs taken by Elsie Wright, who lived from 1901 to 1988, and Francis Griffiths, who lived from 1907 to 1986, two young cousins who lived in Cottingley near Bradford in England. 
1917, when the first two photographs were taken, Elsie was 16 and Francis was 9. The pictures came to the attention of writer Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, who used them to illustrate an article on fairies he had been commissioned to write for the Christmas 1920 edition of The Strand. Doyle, who was a spiritualist, was enthusiastic about the photographs and interpreted them as clear and visible evidence of psychic phenomena. Public reaction was mixed, though. Some accepted the images as genuine, and others believed they'd been faked. Interest in the Cottingley fairies gradually declined after 1921. Both girls married and lived abroad after a time and after they grew up, and then the photographs still managed to hold the public imagination. In the early 1980s, Elsie and Francis admitted that the photographs were faked, using cardboard cutouts of fairies copied from the popular children's book of the time. But Francis maintained that the fifth and final photograph was genuine. Currently, the photographs and two of the cameras used are on display in the National Science and Media Museum in Bradford, England. In December of 2019, the third camera used to take the images was acquired and is scheduled to complete the exhibition. Are little people real? Are there actually pocket-sized beings, good or bad, inhabiting the earth alongside us normal folk? I think maybe there are. Like I said, the stories have to come from somewhere. Again, as with many things I say on here, I believe it's a matter of faith. Well, that's the show for this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Be with me next week as we come back with another story or another group of stories for Terry's Mysterious Moments. I want to remind you that on Mondays, Aaron Hunter brings you Real Paranormal Activity, the podcast, which is listener stories that Aaron tells, mostly ghost stories. On Tuesdays, we have Aaron Frail with Aaron's Horror Show where he reviews horror movies, different books, uh, things that he's written. Wednesdays, it's me, Terry's Mysterious Moments, with me, Terry from Texas, where we cover just about anything you can think of. We also have video productions on the first Friday of the month from Full Dark Productions, from The Witching Hour, and from Unexplained Cases. Also remember that you can go to your app store, whether you have an Apple or an Android. You can go to your app store, look for the RPA app. It's a black square with a blue eye right in the middle of it. You can't miss it. And you can download that app, install it into the device you listen to the programs on. And that way you will not have to go looking for the programs. They'll be right there. Do that. It'll be a lot easier for you to get to the stories. That's about it. I hope everybody has a good week. Thanks for being here. Bye-bye.